Well, good morning. Good to see you all today. We will be taking the Lord's Supper at the end of my sermon, so my sermon won't be the normal length. It'll be two hours instead of 30 minutes this time. It'll be a little shorter, not too much, but anyway. Well, there's a pastor in, in California, and he was giving an invitation uh, at the end of his Sunday morning message, and a five-year-old boy came down the aisle. I wanted to be saved, and so pastor took him down and prayed with him and then took him to his office, and like pastors do, just asked him a few questions just to make sure the boy understood what he was doing and, what a, and understood the decision he was making. And the more he questioned the boy, the more times he asked the boy questions, the boy started getting confused. And I've, been, I've done this before. He, he, if you don't ask the right questions, the child, the child can't get confused. And so finally, in, in exasperation, the little boy just said, Pastor, hold on a second. In your message this morning, in your sermon, you said that if I would come and ask Jesus to save me, he would. Now, did you mean that or not? <laughs> and so the pastor said, I didn't ask him any more questions after that. And he helped the boy respond to God's invitation by inviting Jesus Christ to be his Savior. I think many times we make it hard, harder than it should be to be saved. Uh, but we also, I think, make it too difficult, harder than it should be to live saved to live in faith, to live by the grace of God. And so today we're going to look at how God's grace helps us as we live a life of faith, as we're called to live a life of faith, because we can find ourselves many times not even living lives of faith. We live lives of fear, lives of doubt. Today we're going to see how God's grace helps us live a life of faith. Galatians chapter 3 is where we are today. Paul says in Verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Verse 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them now it is evident that no one is justified before god by the law for the righteous shall live by faith but the law is not of faith rather the one who does them shall live by them christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham 
might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Heavenly Father, as we sit around this sanctuary today, hear from your words, we've listened to people singing and leading us into worship as we have sung into worship and as we dwell on even the things that Mr. Bill said today before his prayer about how we are fortunate to come here after the pandemic does keep people apart. It keeps families apart. It keeps worshipers apart. We thank you that we can be in here. We thank you for those that are worshiping online right now and being able to watch right now. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts today, Father, as we look at your word about what it says even more so about living a life of faith, not living a life by our own, our own works, not living a life by our own uh, accomplishments, but by faith and by grace that you give us. Lord, help us understand more in each of our lives what that looks like, how we can do that. And Father, I pray that my words spoken today uh, are yours. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give us today three things that we must do in the battle for faith in our life. Three things we must do in the battle for faith. Number one, we need God's grace to help us resist alternatives. We need God's grace to help us resist alternatives. Verse 1 says this. He calls them foolish. Now, the word for foolish is the word for unwise. You know, it's not, it's, it, you can be unwise and still be intelligent. You can have a high IQ, you can have a high intelligence, but you can do things that are unwise. And this is where the Galatians were. They were still doing unwise things. And it says that you have been bewitched. You have been literally charmed. Some of you in here might have seen and might have seen the reruns. Remember the, the TV show in the 60s, Bewitched? Do you remember that, maybe, some of you? You know what she did? She was a little witch, and she was a little housewife witch, and she would twill her nose, and then she would put a spell on somebody, and they would forget what they said or something. You know, it's been many years since I've seen it, but something like that, right? And this is literally what the, 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 he's talking about, that, that you've been charmed, you've been bewitched, and, and, and the word for bewitched also has this idea of being appealing. It was an appealing spell. It was an appealing charm. So it has the idea of, of casting a spell on them. So he says, Galatians, you have fallen under some type of spell, but it was a spell that they wanted to fall for. It was a spell that was appealing to them, that they wanted to, to kind of fall. It was an alternative that they turned their eyes on. They took their eyes off of Christ, off of Jesus, and they found something else that they liked that got them spellbound. And this is where we can find ourselves in our own life as we walk in faith and Christianity. We are constantly bombarded by all types of messages from all different organizations and all around the world and different people trying to get us to, to follow us something different from time to time. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, but we need God's grace to help us uh, resist these alternatives. Most of the sins that seek to entrap us, they are enticing. That's why there are temptations. And so we need to ask God to give us the grace to resist the temptation to fall back on our life prior to Christ. So Paul then asks a series of heart-penetrating questions to which the readers are expected to know the answer. These are rhetorical questions. And he says in verse 2, let me ask you this, Galatians. When you were saved, did you receive the Spirit 
by your own doing, by works of the law? Did you create the spirit inside of you? Or did you hear it, did you receive it because you heard it in faith? Well, that, obviously the answer is they receive the spirit by faith. And he says in verse 3, are, are you so foolish that having begun your, your life as a Christian in the spirit, now you're trying to live the life as a Christian without the spirit? And no, you shouldn't. You should still live in the Spirit. Just as the Spirit saves us, just as the Spirit comes into our life, we are, we are born again, and the Spirit comes into our, our hearts. That same Holy Spirit that drew us to salvation, the many times as a Christian we feel like we don't need the Spirit anymore. And we don't need Him, and we try to live a Christian life on our own merit, on our own accord, in our own power. We need to resist the temptation to do that. We need to resist the temptation to think that we can somehow earn God's grace, that we can earn his love by doing things. Yes, he wants us to be obedient. Yes, he will bless us when there is obedience. But God's grace isn't merited in that way. He says in verse 4, did you suffer many things in vain? In other words, you're a Christian, so you've suffered for Christ. Have you suffered in vain or are you just suffering for yourself? And then he says in verse 5, does he, being God, who gives you the Spirit and he works miracles among you, are miracles worked by things you've done or are they hearing of faith? I saw this story the other day about this woman who was in her 90s, her and her husband, and she was in the hospital with, with, um, with COVID and she had died. I mean, she was dead. Her heart quit beating, her brain had died, everything was, there was nothing. And the doctors were just sitting there talking about how the woman had died and they were getting ready to prepare, I guess, to take her out. And then all of a sudden her heart started beating again. Just after a few minutes of being dead, she came back. And they interviewed this couple who were in their 90s. And they said, well, do you think that was a miracle? And the man, the, the husband said, well, what else could it be, <laughs> right? Yes, we think it was a miracle. Miracle are things of faith. They're performed by faith. They're not performed by works. That woman didn't bring herself back to life. She didn't tell her heart to start beating. The doctors couldn't do anything. It just started beating. That is a miracle. And this is what he's saying, that the, 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 the spirit that comes into your life, are miracles done because of what you can do or because of faith? Jesus was very clear. Miracles are done because of faith. He would tell certain towns and cities, I can't work with you anymore because you don't believe. We have to believe. It's not about what we can do. You know, if, if this church all of a sudden baptized a thousand people and had a revival, it would not be because of what I did. Not because of what you did, because of what God did. We have to believe that God has the power to do these things. We have to have the faith. We have to resist the alternatives of the world saying we have a better methodology. We have a better organizational track. We have a better way of doing it. No, no, no. We don't need any of that. It's helpful. We just need Jesus. We need to have faith in him. Verse 6, just as he says, as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was not saved because he was a good did not, God did not save him because he was a good person. He didn't save him because he was Jewish. He was the father of the Jewish nation. He believed God's promise that God would make him a mighty nation and multiply him, and God counted it to him as righteousness. He was made right in God's eyes through Abraham's faith, and we are made right the same way 
through our faith in Jesus. Abraham was saved by the faith of Jesus coming through his family. We're saved through the faith that Jesus came and lived and died and resurrected. The battle for faith, we need God's grace to help us resist the often appealing alternatives that the world offers. I have a picture I want to show you today. This is a nice uh, little frog. Incidentally enough, after we, I preached this the first service, I, I found a lizard. <laughs> so hopefully I won't find another. Uh, hopefully this is not some type of a game the Lord's playing with us. But anyway, this is a frog. And it looks like a cute little frog, a little yellow frog. And, and some people, now I'm not a big, uh, I don't like to touch amphibians and things like that. I don't really like to do that. But, you know, some people love picking up frogs and turtles and things like that but i wouldn't pick this one up this this frog is called the golden poison dart frog golden poison dart frog they're not in monk's corner anywhere in america so you don't have to worry about coming across one and it looks beautiful and it's appealing to those who want to grab things like this but if one touch of the frog's skin you would be hit by a, a massive dose of alkaloid toxin which would eventually stop your heart from beating and even more terrifying, just one of these tiny frogs has enough toxins inside them to kill up to 20 people. It looks beautiful. It looks charming. I guess if you're a frog person, it looks cute. But it's deadly. This is a plant. My mom actually has this in her backyard. This is called oleander. She's always telling me, a kid, don't go around that plant. It's poisonous. You know, if you eat it, oleander can cause all sorts of stomach issues, can erratic pulse, seizures, coma, and maybe even death. Contact with the leaves can become a skin irritant. And the toxins in oleander are so strong that people have become sick after eating honey made by bees that visited the flowers. Amazing, right? The world is full of beautiful things that might seem good, that, might, that we might want to touch, that we might want to consume that are dangerous for us. They might look good. We, they might be, they might, we might want to touch them. We might want to consume them, but they're deadly for us. And we need God's grace to help us resist even the beautiful alternatives of the world. Secondly, we need God's grace to help us resist self-righteousness. So we have several battles in our life. We have the world calling us to go do this and go do that, contrary to the gospel. And then we have our own self that tells us we don't need the gospel, or we don't need Jesus, or we don't need church, or we don't need God's people, or we don't need community, or we don't need all these things. That's self-righteousness, and we need God's grace to help us resist that. Verse 7, Paul says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of of Abraham. See, the false teaching, the Judaizers were saying that you had to become Jewish if you were a Christian before you could be saved. You could believe in Christ, but, then you, but you also had to be Jewish. And you had to be a son of Abraham that way. And Paul said, no, it's not just a Jewish person that's a son of Abraham that's saved. It's those of faith that are sons of Abraham. Verse 8, it says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's everybody but a Jew, by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Paul says that when God told Abraham, I will bless you, Abraham actually heard the good news. He heard the gospel that way. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, who is the man of faith. 
We follow into his footsteps. God called Abraham when he was worshiping the stars out in the desert. He said, come be my disciple, so to speak. Come follow me, come serve me, and I will make your family a great nation. And through your family, I will bless the entire world through Jesus Christ eventually. So we are called to be men and women of faith, just as Abraham was a man of faith. I heard a pastor say one day that, that he says when he goes to the doctor, he, he, he believes in the physician when he puts his life into their hands, his health into their hands. He trusts the physician, the doctor to cure him. He says, I believe in a lawyer when I leave my case in his hands. You know, and I trust my lawyer to plead for me. I have a good friend that's a lawyer. It feels great to have a friend that's a lawyer that I grew up with. And you know, they're going to help you. And he says, and I, and I believe in a banker that when I put my money into my banker's hands or my investor's hands, that they're going to keep it and they're going to be wise with it on my behalf. But how often are we unwilling to put our life and our spiritual matters into God's hands? We trust the doctors. We trust the physicians. We trust the lawyers. But in our spiritual makeup, in our spiritual life, we still want to trust our own selves. We still want to trust our own way. We need to rely on him and give us the grace to resist self-righteousness. And finally, number three, we need God's grace to help us live by faith. Live by faith. This is always going to be the most difficult part of the Christian life, I think, is to live by faith. It's much easier said than done. There's times where it's very difficult. I know with my own life, I have a couple children that are sick at the house. You know, when they're sick, I can't help them. I can't do anything for them. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't have medicine at my house. That would be illegal. I don't have any way to treat them. I can't cure them. I have to have faith in the doctor. I have to have faith in God that God will heal them ultimately. Right? That's how all of our life should be lived. That we have faith in God every step of the way in our life. We have an issue in our job that's not uh, working right. We ask God to help. We, we put our faith in him, not in our own idea. We have a family issue, a relationship that's not working right. We ask God to help us with that. We have faith that he'll help us, not our own life. In every situation that happens, we need God's grace to help us live by faith. He, Paul says in verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. He's quoting Deuteronomy, and he's saying that if you don't live on what, how the Bible says, then you're going to be cursed. Now, the Judaizers said that you have to do it all. They misinterpreted. Paul says, no, no, no. You have to live by faith, which is the ultimate point of the Old Testament, they don't rely on the, on the works of the law. You rely on faith. And, and, the, and the Bible says that faith is what saves us. And so he says in verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified. That means being made right before God. We've, we've damaged our relationship with God through sin. We've broken relationship with God. Justification, being justified, means that we've been made right, that we cannot, we cannot mend that relationship with God by our own works. There's not enough prayers we can pray. There's not enough things we can do. There's not enough whatever you want to say. We cannot do enough because the righteous, those who've been, who've been made right, will live by faith. 
faith. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. As we close, there's a famous composer, German composer of the 1800s. His name was Felix Mendelssohn. I'm not a big music guy, but you might have heard of him. I think he died pretty young, but he was a prodigy for the most part. Uh, Composer, played all these instruments, played the organ, and he visited a cathedral in Germany. There wasn't social media back then, so no one really knew who people were unless you had seen them before. And he heard this great organ being played and being tuned, and he walked in, and there was a person who was over the organ, and he said, do you think I could, be like, I could play that organ? And the old organist said, no, no, we don't let the public play. And I, you know, this is not how it works. This is a very delicate you know, piece of uh, machine, instrument. We don't let anybody in. And, and here's was like the world's greatest organist, greatest composer, and didn't know who he was. And he just said, please, I would just love, just give me a couple minutes. I won't, it'd be fine. I just want to, I want to play this instrument. So he finally let him do it. So Mendelssohn got behind the organ and started playing the organ. And immediately the old organist knew something was different. He started playing the organ and he just was listening and then he finished and then the organist said, oh, no, no, keep on playing. <laughs> so Mendelssohn played some more, and he got done. And he got off the bench, and he walked out. And the organist said, put his hands on his shoulders. He said, who are you? What is your name? And he said, Mendelssohn. <laughs> you would know instantly who he was. And the organist said, I could have been so foolish to refuse to let Mendelssohn touch this organ and I let him do it. I'm so glad I let him do it. How often as Christians do we have a God who isn't just the best doctor, isn't just the best lawyer, the best banker, or the best organist, or the best composer. He is the best being in the universe. How often do we not allow him to touch our lives, to put his hands on our lives, to allow us to, to put our faith in him, to do things in our lives. We try to do it on our own to, for him. We don't allow him to do it. How would our life be different if every day we make decisions, we say, Lord, I want you to help me with this. I, I want, I'm putting my faith in you, not myself. In a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. When you came in today, you might have seen our, our uh, Lord's Supper packets. This is how we're having to do it right now. And I'm going to move down here, and um, the band will, or whatever will kind of get on stage. And, and we're going to take those. If you need to, if you need to, to take one, um, now will be the time to do, to, to pick up your packet there at the entrances or the back entrances. And we'll commence into a time of taking the Lord's Supper. This packet, uh, the top just peels off, and then it peels off underneath it for the, for the juice. The Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances that God has blessed us with. He's given us baptism, by which 
through our salvation, we show the world, we show God's people that we have given our life to Jesus. We are new creations in Christ, and we go into the water, and we, we come out of the water, and it's a visible representation of being born again. It's the entryway into the church. And the Lord's Supper guards us. It keeps us in the house. It keeps us in God's church. It gives us a time periodically throughout the year to look at our own hearts as believers, to, to turn from those sins that we might have in our life that have entangled us. It gives us an opportunity to do that. So he says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians That on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take a minute today as you take the bread in silence to think about how you need to turn from things in your own life today and to thank God for what he's done for you. Scripture also says that in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. As you drink the cup today, thank the Lord for shedding his blood on the cross so that by his blood we might have a new covenant with God, the covenant of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we have such the privilege and the honor to take your supper today, take your communion today, even in a way that's a little unfamiliar for many of us, we're able to do so today. We can drink of your death and your resurrection until you come. Father, thank you for giving us this ordinance that enables us a time of self-reflection, a time to make sure that if there's anything we've done to put a barrier up between ourselves and you that it allows us to ask your forgiveness. Not that we would lose who we are in you, Lord, but that we would not damage our relationship with you. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus, and we thank you for the blessing you've given us through baptism, through communion, through the preaching of the word, through worship, how it fills our soul today. We thank you so much, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.